Well, thank you for hanging out on Zoom. I'm going to try my best to talk to you on Zoom as well as those in the room. So all of you, thank you for the flexibilities. I do this a lot. So thank you for tuning in and thank you for coming in person. Uh, my name is Brett Ricely. Um, really honored to be here again. I was here, I don't know, a few years ago. Um, I don't know how long it was. And at that time, I lived in Salt Lake City. Now I live here in Iowa. So um, I'll share a little bit about me and then we'll pray. Uh, this is a picture of my family. I'm married to Nicole. Um, we've been married since 2008. We've been in full-time ministry together. I gotta keep in my mind. I gotta stay in the Zoom lane over here. Um, we've been married since 2008. Um, I'm the associate pastor of discipleship at the Mission Church over in Urbandale, just not far from here. It used to be First Federated Church. Now it's replanted as the Mission Church. Um, and so I moved from Utah, planting a church out there uh, in order to come to the Mission Church to help that church be a disciple-making church. Um, and that's a fancy language for we're trying to take the Great Commission seriously. Um, and so that's my job. That's my passion. That's my heart uh, is equipping the church to engage the lost, share the gospel, make disciples and gather them into the church and then multiply. Um, that's my heart. It's my passion. Um, and so that's why I'm here. Um, we planted a church in Salt Lake City six years ago. And by the grace of God, uh, that community of folks is still there and thriving, even though it's a very tough place in Salt Lake City. Um, there's about 50, 60 people and are actually getting ready to merge with another church that's been dying, but now they're coming together to join forces. So it's a beautiful thing to see the church um, lay aside some preferences and whatnot and say, hey, look, we got to stay together and stay alive because Christianity in Utah is a very minimal sliver of the population out there. So uh, Redeeming Life Church in Salt Lake City is still doing well. Um, passionate about making disciples. Um, so I also got my kids here. Jonathan up there is nine, and uh, he's got a sweet little mohawk right now. Uh, he wanted to do that a couple of days ago, and so he's got a sweet mohawk. And this is my little daughter, Maddie. She is a firecracker and keeps me busy and tired, but she is two. So that's my beautiful family. I'm very blessed. Um, blessed to be here and uh, blessed to be a part of the ministry in Iowa. It's very different than Utah. But I grew up in Nebraska. My wife grew up in Iowa, so we're very familiar with the Midwest. Um, grateful for a lot of it, a blessing in so many ways, and we have family in the Des Moines area. So, yeah, so we've been here in, in Iowa for about a year and a half, and uh, again, excited to be here. I mean, I'm uh, uh, any church that wants to help equip their people to get serious about evangelism is always exciting. So, you got great leadership, you got great elders, you guys have a great thing going on here if you're wanting to do stuff like this. And so, it just brings me so much encouragement to be here. And I'm not an expert, but I hope to encourage you guys and give you some tools and some encouragement like we were talking about. Is it Ryan? Right? I mean, sometimes we might know some of this stuff. And again, it might be new. It might be review. But either way, we all need to stay sharp and keep those, those things fresh in our minds so we can be ready when the Lord opens doors for us to engage people with the gospel. So anyways, let me pray for us tonight. We start our time because what we're doing tonight uh, isn't just Brett's opinion of what we should be doing. This is biblical stuff. And we just want to ask the Lord to open our eyes, open our ears, and give us boldness to embrace some stuff. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this group of faithful saints that are on Zoom and here in this room. God, thank you for Creekside Church and the ministry that they have here in Urbandale. God, I pray that this session tonight over the next couple hours would be an encouragement to them. They would leave encouraged, equipped, and empowered to take the gospel to the people that they work with the people that they live next to in their neighborhood, the people that they see on a regular basis, maybe even family members. God, we all know people who are desperate and in need of the gospel, in need of salvation, in need of hope. And God, in the day and time in which we live, there is a lot of darkness, 
a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity, a lot of uncertainty. And God, I thank you that our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that your son was enough, that he bled and died for all of our sins, past, present, and future, that he rose three days later after being buried in the tomb and conquered sin and death. And now in Christ, we are secure. In Christ, we've been redeemed, justified. And God, we look forward to the day that we are glorified in, in, in eternity. But for now, God, I pray that we would be faithful to be ambassadors for Christ, which we've been called. It's part of our identity in Christ. And so I pray that we'd be faithful. So tonight, God, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears. God, if there's something that we need to remove to take this more seriously, I pray that your spirit would prompt us and that we would respond in obedience and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about personal evangelism tonight. Um, I am pretty confident you guys know what that means. Um, but we're going to start with something that I think is helpful. When you think about personal evangelism, a lot of times, some of us, I know I grew up thinking it was kind of an option, right? Like if you're a super Christian and you're really serious, then you do that. If, if not, well, then you kind of let the other super spiritual people do that. And what I want to encourage you to see is that personal evangelism is for all Christians all the time. And so if you'll take a look at the screen here, um, when you read the book of Acts, and we could do a whole session just on this in the study of a book, the book of Acts, which would be a fascinating thing sometime. But I want to encourage you to read the book of Acts. And what I want you to see are these four reproducible patterns that we see in the book of Acts. These are not gimmicks or, or anything else. It's literally the pattern of what the early church did. Um, and so before we get to the pattern, we just have to be reminded there's only two types of people in the world. There's people who are followers of Jesus, and there's people who are not followers of Jesus. Therefore, there's people who are going to end up in heaven because they have a relationship through Jesus Christ. You can say by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Those people end up in heaven. It has nothing to do with what they've done. It has 100% to do with what Jesus has accomplished on their behalf. So people either end up in heaven or they end up in hell. That's because they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not easy or fun to talk about, but it's a very biblical and true reality. So there's two people. There's only two eternal destinations. And the biblical mandate for all followers of Jesus is to fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not just one passage and kind of a, a glance over in the book of Matthew. Right? Matthew 28 is the Great Commission that we're mostly familiar with. But you may not know that the Great Commission is in every single gospel and even the book of Acts. Matthew 28, Mark 16, 15, John 20, 21, Luke 24, 44 through 46, uh, John, I already mentioned John, Luke, Mark, and then Acts 1, 8. All of those passages are a mention to the Great Commission. So it's not just a, a once isolated conversation. And so the Great Commission is to go into all the world, to proclaim the gospel, and to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded the disciples. And so it's this never-ending, reproducible cycle of investing in a guy who's going to invest in a guy who's going to invest in a guy or a gal, and that just never ends. That's how you and I are here. The disciples were faithful to reproduce their lives into someone else who did that with someone else, who did that with someone else. 2,000 years later, here we are. If the disciples did not obey Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28, you and I wouldn't be here. And so by their obedience, we hope to stand on their shoulders and be obedient going forward. And so when you read the book of Acts, it was all about making disciples. Um, and when you read the accounts, you see primarily when Paul goes anywhere, when Peter goes anywhere, when John goes anywhere, uh, we see this pattern. The first thing they're doing is they're engaging the lost. Whether this is a Pharisee, a Gentile, a Greek, it doesn't matter. They're engaging the lost in some kind of a way. And when they engage them... They are then sharing the gospel. They're planting the seed or sowing the seed broadly, the book of Acts talks about. 
So they're engaging the lost for the purpose of sharing the gospel. And when they share the gospel, we read that there's three responses to that. We're going to get to that later in our training and talk about that in more detail. But the short answer is when you share the gospel with somebody, there's only three options. They're going to believe the message. They're going to say, you know, I'm not sure. I'd like to ask a few more questions. I'd like to study it a little bit more. I'm curious. Or they say, nope, not interested, and they reject it. Yes, no, or maybe. There's only three responses to the gospel. But if God, in his providence, should save that person and have their eyes open and they're redeemed and saved, well, then the early church takes those new converts and they disciple them. They make disciples and they equip them not just to attend religious services. The primary goal of a disciple of Jesus is to obey Jesus. Now, being a part of religious services today is a fantastic gift and a blessing. And we should do that. We should engage in the community. We should have fellowship. But the primary engine behind being a disciple is to be obedient to Jesus. So the early church engaged the lost, they shared the gospel, and any converts that came into the church, they equipped them, just like Jesus said, teach them to obey all I've taught you. And they did that. And as they do that, they gather these disciples together like we are today. When you gather a group of disciples, what's that called? It's called the church, right? We're sitting in a building where the church is gathered, right? This this is not the church. The building is a building. But the church right now is gathered inside of a building. And that's the way we should talk about the church. It's people. It's the people of God. And so this is the pattern. And they repeated this pattern over and over. You read, literally read any book of Acts or any part of Acts, you'll see this pattern. Paul went somewhere, engaged them, shared the gospel, proclaimed the kingdom of God. They either respond, he disciples them if necessary, he gathers them to the church, and then they multiply um, oh, no, I have to go all the way back through this. That's not cool. Sorry about that. Um, actually, I can skip ahead. So that is the reproducible pattern that we see in the book of Acts. And we see it in the New Testament. The New Testament epistles and letters are reinforcing that pattern of being reminded of the gospel and then the implications of the gospel. So I share all that, and you're wondering, what does that have to do with personal evangelism? Well, everything. Because if we don't understand that personal evangelism is not just a isolated silo ministry of the church, then we're not going to really do it. It's not just an option to consider. It's a command to obey. So sharing the gospel is supposed to be an integrated part of our DNA as a disciple. And so in order to engage the way that we biblically see we ought to engage, we have to ask ourselves the questions, are we ready to engage? And there's three helpful dynamics of this that I hope will help you think about being equipped to do uh, evangelism. And it has to do with three things. We need to be motivated. We need to be equipped, and then we need to be available. So I don't have time tonight to walk through all of these things and give you all sorts of things about each of these three, but I'll walk through very briefly kind of a quick summation of each of these things, because if you leave any one of these out, you're not really going to be ready to engage in the mission of God. And so this might be a little small for you guys to see in the room, maybe not. Um, but are you motivated? This is the part that I can't really do. The Holy Spirit's going to have to prompt you and stir you but primarily my hope is to prompt you from the scripture. Are you convinced that the gospel is the power of God? You know, Paul writes in Romans 1.16 that he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It means the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. So if we want to see the power of God in Urbandale, how do we see the power of God? We share the gospel, because the gospel is the power of God. There's only a few places in the Bible where it refers to the, the power of God, and it talks about the gospel. And so when we share it, there's something that's going to happen there, right? People have to accept it or reject it, but they want to learn more. That's how God moves in people. Are you convinced that the gospel is what produces the greatest change this world can ever know? Like we 
are Christians, we are supposedly, we have the answers to all of life's problems in the person and the work of Christ and in the gospel and in his word. We have answers. Now, we're not experts and we're not perfect, right? Who can agree with that? We're not perfect, right? Zoom friends, we're not perfect, right? But we know that the gospel inside of us through the power of the spirit, the transformation of knowing his word, it'll produce transformation in our hearts and our minds and our lives and our community. And so the answer is not uh, look to a religious leader, it's look to Jesus. And so we have to share the gospel with people. And so that's a piece of our motivation. Another piece of our motivation is that we have to understand that the text of this book says that the Great Commission is not an option to consider. It is a command to obey. And that's the words of Jesus. Don't get angry at me. Don't get frustrated with me. Hopefully I'm not making you uncomfortable. But it's not an option. It's just not. And we don't like that in our world today because we like independence, right? We, like, we don't want to be told what to do. Nobody does, including myself. But if we are really submitting to Jesus as our master and as our Lord, that, mean, that word means master. He's our king. He commands us to follow him and to do what he says. So the Great Commission and making disciples and sharing the gospel is not an option. It's a command. How are you doing with that? And those are the references I referenced earlier where you see the Great Commission in all of the gospels and in Acts. And are you committed to joining Jesus in his mission by denying yourself and your kingdom? You know, we can spend a lot of time in our life building our own little kingdom and building our own little world and being comfortable and being secure and just being pretty comfortable in our ruts. And even in our religious services and the things that we do as Christians, it's pretty easy to be pretty comfortable, is it not? It's pretty easy. But are we more focused on building and helping advance the mission of God and his kingdom, or are we more focused on us, what we want, what we like, and our preferences? So that's another thing that has to do with our motivation. Okay, then are you equipped? This is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to get equipped a little bit more, but you need to be ready to engage because we are in a spiritual war for souls, right? Ephesians is all very clear that we're in a spiritual war, right? We don't battle against flesh and blood, right? So the war that we face out here, which doesn't, we can't see with our physical eyes, the reality is there's a spiritual war going on. Are you ready to engage in that? Are you ready to engage in that battle to know that there's going to be spiritual warfare? It's going to be challenging. It's going to be messy. Are you ready to share your story about how God has changed your life? Are you ready to share the gospel and tell people how they can find hope only in Jesus? We live in a world, you guys see it, we're dealing with COVID. Uh, the world's dark, hopeless, doubtful, uncertain. I mean, it's just a crazy time to be alive, isn't it? And yet we have the answer. We have hope. It's found in Jesus. We have to share it. Again, I'm so thankful you guys are doing this um, because we have to be ready to share the gospel. So as we get equipped tonight, then the next thing after we get equipped is then you're going to have to prioritize the Great Commission in your own life. And that's going to look different for everybody, and that's okay. Some of you might be retired, some of you are in school, some of you have young kids, some of you are empty nesters, whatever the case is, you're gonna to have to prioritize the Great Commission and you're gonna to have to be available. So are you committed to engaging lost people for the purposes of building a relationship, demonstrating the gospel, declaring the gospel? Are you committed to living with some margin so you can actually prioritize these types of things? These are hard things and it might take time, it takes years, we're not to get there overnight, I don't expect you to walk out of here today and have all this sorted out and all this figured out. It'll take time. But we have to be motivated, and I pray the Spirit does that tonight. I pray that we are equipped, and I hope that the Spirit helps us tonight. And I hope that the Spirit helps you as well learn to be available and whatever that looks like in your season of life. Um, so getting equipped is what we're going to try to work on tonight. Every disciple is a disciple maker. Again, you see that in the pattern of Scripture. Every disciple is given a toolbox or spiritual gifts. Um, that God has specifically given you 
to use your gifts and talents and abilities for his kingdom. Then we also have things that we learn, right? So you have natural gifts and abilities the way God made you. We also can learn some skills, right? You guys are all smart. We can learn things. We can adapt. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to learn some things or maybe review some things. Um, and so the, the goal in having an evangelistic toolbox is to have one, have a toolbox. Two, fill it with tools so that you're ready to do whatever job is placed in front of you. So if you're talking to a Muslim, you're going to need some tools in there that are very different than talking to, say, an atheist or, say, even a cultural Christian who's been professing to be a believer their whole life but maybe has no clue of the gospel even, doesn't even know how to explain transformation or even how they got saved. Those are different tools. We all need tools in our, in our pocket. And so tonight we're going to work on two primary tools, the 15-second story, which is how you can very quickly and very succinctly begin to have a conversation with somebody about how God saved you and changed you in a very simple, very, very short way. And then we're also going to look on a tool about how to share the gospel. And it's called Three Circles. And they're very, very simple. Now, before we get there, the temptation, you might be go, this guy's a pastor and he's presenting to us. And we got these almost kid-like little tools. Uh, resist the urge to judge them before you work them out and try them. Uh, because when I first saw these things, I, I mean, I'm in seminary and I'm thinking, really? Wow, this is pretty kiddish. But what I found being in Utah as a church planter and reaching unreached people and reaching Mormons and reaching other people is if you don't have something simple and reproducible that you can just access immediately in your mind and verbally share or draw on a napkin, Oftentimes, you just won't share or do anything at all. And so the simpler it is, doesn't mean you water it down, doesn't mean you leave out core components of the gospel. Simple just means you have a very effective and efficient way to communicate the gospel with clarity. And so we're going to look at those two things, and I'll encourage you to give them a chance. I don't know why it does this. Okay, so on your tables, um, you have a document called the 15-second story. You also have blank pieces of paper. So if you're watching on Zoom, go ahead and grab a blank piece of paper or an index card or a piece of notebook paper and a pen. You're going to need to draw something here in just a second. And at your table, you've got blank pieces of paper. you also got a 15-second story document. That document just explains what I'm going to explain to you very quickly, but you can take that home. So right now, just focus on the white blank piece of paper. And up here in a second, you're going to see the pieces of it that I'd like you to draw on your piece of paper. So leave the first half of your piece of paper is where you're going to draw it as I talk. And then the second half of that piece of paper, you're going to practice it with a person at your table here in just a second. So use about half, half of the piece of paper on one side, and then we'll use the back of that piece of paper later. So the purpose of this tool is not to share the gospel. Okay, so the 15-second story is about sharing your testimony. It's to create a spiritual conversation. And it's kind of like taking a spiritual pulse, right? You walk up to somebody, you're having a conversation, you kind of want to gauge, is this person interested in having a spiritual conversation or not? You've probably been around enough to know some people are interested in talking about spiritual things, some people are not at all. And that's okay, right? It's not our job to, to strong harm people into conversation. But it is our job to kind of take a pulse and say, I wonder if they're interested. And so we need a tool to kind of to gauge their interest level. So this is that tool. It's very simple. Um, and it's designed, like I said, to take a pulse. And so here's what we're going to do. So every good story begins with a, uh, oh, thank you. I'll try the battery thing. Thank you, my friend. So every good story has a beginning, right? Our story begins how? Genesis 1. How's that start? In the beginning, right? Every good story. Oh, it must have been a battery thing. Thank you. Was it Ryan? Colin, man. Thanks, Colin. Colin saved the day, I think, with the remote. 
So in the beginning, so every good story has a beginning or an intro. So on your piece of paper, friends on Zoom and here in the room, draw a little clock, just a little, you don't have to be a great artist, just a little clock. And then under that, write the words, there was a time in my life when, dot, dot, dot. So draw a little clock icon and then write underneath of it, there was a time in my life when. And this will be kind of the beginning of how you will start this conversation. There was a time in my life when, dot, dot, dot. Okay, so you've got your intro. There was a time in my life when. The next thing is draw an arrow pointing to the left, and underneath that arrow, put two blank lines, and underneath those two lines, you're gonna put two words that describe your life before coming to Christ. Okay, so have an arrow that points to your left, and then underneath of that arrow, put two lines, two blank lines, and in those blanks, I want you to think of your life before you came to Christ. And think of two words that kind of summarize your life before you came to Christ. Maybe it was angry and depressed. Maybe it was addicted and ashamed. Maybe it was hurting and doubtful. Whatever words are true to your story, think of two words that kind of summarize your life before Christ. Now let's say maybe you grew up in the church, and maybe you feel like you've been a Christian for a very, very long time, and you're like, I don't really have a, a, a season where I was wayward or anything like that. Think of a time in your life where you were kind of wayward from God or you wandered from God, and think about a season that was maybe your furthest point of wandering or drifting or being living in disobedience. And think of a season like that if you've been in the church or been a Christian a long time. And think of two words that would kind of summarize that. Maybe, maybe it is wayward or um, something like that. So two words that describe your life before coming to Christ. Everybody got two words written down? Okay, awesome. Friends on Zoom, hopefully you've got that. Ma, so yeah, two words, addicted and ashamed would be two words that I might use. Then right next to that, I want you to draw a cross right next to the arrow here, just like you see on the screen. Copy it down basically exactly like you see on the screen. Draw a cross, and underneath the cross, you can do one of two options. You can do repented and believed in Jesus, or you could do turned and trusted in Jesus. Now, the key here is, that, again, up to this point, it'll sound like this. Hey, there was a time in my life when I was addicted and ashamed, but then I turned and trusted in Jesus. And then we'll get on to the rest of it here in just a second. But that's kind of how it sounds up to this point. So draw the cross, and then whatever language you think that you would use in a conversation, if it's repented and believed or turned and trusted or any other words that kind of signify repentance, right? Because repentance is turning and going a different direction. It's not just, I thought Jesus had better answers, so I decided to give it a try. It's a, nope, I am leaving my life and I'm following his way, turning a different direction. Okay? Now, after the cross, then I want you to draw an arrow pointing to your right. And under that, it'll mirror the left side. Two words that describe your life or summarize your life after coming to Christ or now that you're a Christian. Two words that kind of describe your life now. So for me, addicted and ashamed was before Christ. Forgiven and free are the words after Christ, what I experience now as a redeemed person. So two words. Again, put this into your own words, the way that you would use it conversationally. Two words that describe your life after Christ. Okay? And then, last but not least... The very, one of the most important parts of this little tool, draw a question mark right after that right arrow, and then right underneath of it, do you have a story like that? 
Do you have a story like that? So now, if this was in a conversation with somebody, for example, you, you, if I just said, hey, there was a time in my life, you know, Bob, when I was addicted and ashamed, I turned and trusted Jesus, now I'm forgiven and free. And Bob goes, cool, Brett, it's a cool story, good for you. But if I say, hey, Bob, there's a time in my life that's addicted and ashamed, but turned it and trusted in Christ, now I'm forgiven and free. Do you have a story like that, Bob? Well, see, now I've invited a conversation. I went from a presentation about my life to a conversation with Bob about my life and now his life. So you leave out that question, it turns into a presentation. We don't want presentations. Presentations don't normally go well with people in our culture in a lot of ways. But we want a conversation. Do you have a story like that, Bob? And then he could say, you know, I don't. Or, you know, maybe I do. And, or maybe I can relate to some of this, but I can't really relate to that. And so that just gets the conversation going. So if they are interested, they'll respond. Um, when I was in Salt Lake City, we were doing a training like this, and they challenged everybody to go out and practice this with somebody during the lunch break. So we had to go leave the campus and go out, and they said, before you come back to lunch, you've got to share your testimony, and you've got to share the gospel before you come back to lunch. And if you don't do it, you can't come to the rest of the training. <laughs> I thought, man, that's pretty intense. Um, so I'm praying about it. I'm in the car, and I'm like, well, i got to get gas. So I'll get gas, and I'll get lunch, and I'll go back, and hopefully between gas and the restaurant, I'll have these opportunities. So I go to the gas station, and I share, and I ask the lady who's at the cash register, I buy a bottle of water, and I say, hey, how's your day going? She says, my day, I don't know if I can say this, my day sucked. So sorry if that's offensive, but Midwest, I don't know. But, uh, you know, my day sucked. I said, I'm really sorry to hear that. And I, so I adapted this, kind of used her language, but put it in my story in a genuine way. I said, you know what? There's a time in my life when my life sucked, where I was addicted, I was ashamed. There was no good things going on. That I turned and trusted in Jesus. He saved me. He changed me. And now I'm not perfect, but now I live forgiven. I live free. And my life doesn't suck anymore. Now I have hope. Do you have a story like that? And she said, wow, I, I don't. She's like, I, I'm, I'm Mormon. And I've been under this religious oppressive system my whole life. I don't think it's true, but I don't know what else to do. And I said, hey. And then I transitioned to the gospel. And we'll talk about that here in a second. I said, hey, can I, can I share something with you? Can I just take a minute and share something with you that changed my life? And she said, sure. And so then I shared the gospel in a way that we're going to talk about here in just a second and got to lead her to Christ and pray for her and help her begin her journey with Jesus. Now, that doesn't happen all the time. I wish it did. Uh, I want to be clear. That's not like happening every day for me. I wish. But the point is, uh, it's so simple. It can be conversational. It can be verbal. Uh, it doesn't have to be a presentation. But she responded to that. And it was a great conversation. You guys have any questions on this? Any comments, thoughts? Is it helpful? It seem like it might be a good tool for you and the things that you are encountering in conversations with people. Yeah, I love it. Cool. Awesome. Um, now, like any good workshop, it doesn't really do you a whole lot of good if you just write it down and stick it in your Bible and go home and call it a night. You practice it, though, it becomes a part of who you are. So at your tables now, and if you're at home, maybe just practice it out loud, practice it verbally. Practice writing it out a couple times, and I'll go back a couple slides again so you can see it since you were just joining us. Um, but for you in the room, for you in the room, I want you to turn and everybody take a turn. There's not that many of us, so everybody at the table practice sharing it at least once. So one of you will probably have to go twice or pair up. Take 30 seconds. I'll give you 30 seconds each, even though it's technically 15 seconds. It's not really about the time frame. The point is to get all of that out and then to say, do you have a story like this? And then the other person do it and practice that. So go ahead. Go take it for a spin. We'll come back together in a minute or so.
to come back together. I think we've had enough time to practice this. How did it go? Good. Fantastic. You guys have some good spiritual conversations along the way? Hopefully. Good. Okay, so that's a really simple, a simple tool, but hopefully it helps. Again, you put it in verbally, the more you use it, the more conversational it gets. It's very adaptable too, because I've even had guys who say, you know, hey, oh man, I'd say, how's it going? We ask that question all the time, right? Like, hey, how's it going? How are you doing today? Ask that question and then listen for problems, listen for concerns, listen for issues, listen for negative things. That's kind of a red flag in your mind that you could bridge into this 15 second story. So for example, one guy said, hey, how's it going? And he just said, well, my marriage is, is pretty rough right now. It's pretty rocky. I'm not having a good time. I said, hey, I'm sorry to hear that. There was a time in my marriage when our marriage was not great. Our marriage was pretty distant and pretty cold. But because of our relationship and our trust in Jesus, he helped us see that it's not about us and we need to love and respect each other. But only in Christ is that possible. So now our marriage is very imperfect. But we're now pursuing unity and harmony and love and respect. And you have a story like that. You know, it's like you can adapt it to different situations. Again, be genuine. Don't make anything up. That defeats the whole purpose of it. But adapt it to your life story. Think of things that were not going good in your life and bring that out. And, and again, because Jesus in the gospel is the solution for all of our problems, even as we're Christians. Amen? Right? So if I have marriage problems, I don't, I don't need to go to some other source or some health book. I need to go to the, the Bible. I need to go to the gospel. I need to see there's a disconnect between me and Jesus and that's what's causing the, the disconnect in my marriage. And so adapt the 15-second story to any circumstance that you can. Um, and it's pretty powerful when you use it that way. So now that we've got a tool, we're taking a pulse. Let's say someone has responded positively, and they say, you know, I don't have a story like that, but I'm interested in what you're talking about. Or maybe, you know, I grew up in the church, but I don't really know about this whole repentance thing. Okay, great. Then you need to transition from this taking a pulse then to how do I get to the gospel, right? So if you, do, you have to have a transition, you always have to have bridges to the next part of that conversation. And so think of it in terms of transition into a gospel conversation and then invite them to respond. So the TGI, the transition gospel invitation, okay? So we've had the 15 second story. Now we have a transition into the gospel and in that gospel, we want to invite them to respond to that gospel that we share. So TGI, transition, gospel, invite. Okay. And again, the transition that I use all the time, you can use something else. But the one that's just easy, if you're in this conversation, they're interested, you can just say, hey, look, I appreciate you, you know, listening and taking the time to talk. Do you, can I share with you something that changed my life? Real simple question. And you're, again, you're asking for permission to share. Hey, do you mind if I share something with you that changed my life? If they say no, I'm not interested, then you say, okay, that's cool, you know? Thank you for your time, and you can leave the conversation. But if you ask, and they invite you, and they give you permission to share something that changed your life, then they've just given you permission to share the gospel with them. And that's pretty cool. And most likely, when I do this with people, they listen, and it's not, it's not that hard. It actually goes pretty well. So this is one of a trillion gospel-sharing tools that are out in the world today. right? If you talk to missionaries, they're using different tools. If you talk to people in America, we use different tools. The goal is to have a tool, right? Your evangelistic toolbox, you need to have at least one that you're ready with, you're equipped with, you're comfortable with it, you're, you're, you know how to use that tool, right? If we were going to build something that required a hammer, it wouldn't do any good to use a saw, right? And vice versa. You have to know what your tools are and how they work. And so this is just one of many. On your table, there's a thing called a life conversation guide. Um, if you guys are watching on Zoom and you're not here, I can leave extra copies of this here at the church, but it looks like this. 
Um, it's called the three circles, but if you open this up, you'll see that it, it's not only a, a training manual for you to learn how to use this tool, to learn some of the language or even the script sort of to kind of put it in your head, but it's also so multi-purpose that you can also just hand this to a person and say, hey, here's a message of hope. Here's, here's a message that changed my life. You can hand it to them, and it's also a gospel track. So it's a beautiful thing. Um, and it's, on a, it's called the Three Circles, and there's actually a free app that you can download on your phone that has a presentation that you can swipe through uh, that we'll see in just a moment. It also has a video that you can just have somebody play and watch. Um, it's fantastic. It's called Life on Mission. Um, you can go to the website, nam.net, or you can just download the app on iOS or Android, and the app is called Life on Mission. Okay, so super cool little tool. Again, it's so simple, you could draw it on a napkin. Um, so we're going to walk through this. So take out your blank piece of paper. If you are on Zoom, grab another piece of paper or use the back of something, grab a piece of paper. And as you see the presentation, draw what you see, and we're going to, you know, get used to drawing it. And then once we're done, then we're going to practice at your table, and you're going to share the gospel with people at your table, and you're going to draw it out for the person you're sharing with at your table. Sound good? Cool. All right. So three circles. Uh, very simple. Very concise. It's not the only one out there, but I think it's pretty helpful. So I'm going to present it to you like I would kind of present it to somebody else, okay? So three circles. You know, uh, we know from the Bible that God created the world and it has a perfect design, right? When he created everything, it was good. He created the world and he created man to be in perfect harmony with him. Everything was as it should be. Everything was in its rightful place. And God had a perfect design for all of humanity. And it was a beautiful thing. Humans were in a right relationship with each other, and humans were in a right relationship with God. It was a beautiful thing. But we also see in the Bible that very quickly that went away, didn't it? We see that the world departed from God's design. Adam and Eve departed from God's design. They listened to Satan rather than God. They thought they knew better. They thought that his plan was better than God's. And any rebellion or any departure from God's design is sin. Right? So departing from God's design in any area of our life is called sin. And the natural result of sin is brokenness. Right? And we feel this in our own life. There's brokenness in relationship. There's brokenness in our own bodies with addiction or lust or greed or pride or arrogance. And oftentimes in our brokenness and in our loneliness or whatever we might be feeling that's broken, with those little squiggly lines that are coming outside of the brokenness, those are our attempts to get out of our brokenness. So if we're lonely and depressed, we think, well, maybe that relationship with that guy or that girl, maybe, maybe if I just get that, if I find that person, that'll really make me feel like I've got worth. Maybe that'll fix my loneliness. It'll fix my depression. Or maybe we think an addict, addiction, you know, it's drinking or drugs, or maybe it's pornography or whatever it is. I just want to fix. I want to numb the pain. I don't want to think about it. So I'm going to try this substance to get my mind off of my problems. Or maybe we think if I just really dig in at work, and just really tackle and work on my career. Maybe if I just get that next promotion, maybe if I really just pour my heart and soul into my job, that'll make me feel like I've got self-worth and it won't, it won't make me feel so broken anymore. Or it might even be religion and morality. We think, you know what, if I'm just a really good person and do a lot of good things, if I just go to church all the time, maybe that won't make me feel so bad about the problems that I have and the sin that I struggle with. And the reality is all of those things don't solve the core problem. What's the core problem? Sin, right? Going to church doesn't necessarily solve your sin problem. Being moral doesn't actually solve your sin problem. 
Addiction doesn't solve it. Relationships doesn't solve it. Money doesn't solve it. Uh, career path doesn't solve it. The only thing that solves your brokenness is the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that God came down as a man in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life that we could never live, became the sacrificial lamb, died willingly on our behalf on the cross, took all of our sins, all of our mistakes, all of our brokenness, put it on himself, and he died and was crushed completely for all of our sin, past, present, and future. That's good news. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. No one else has ever done that. And now the Bible says that Jesus has all the authority in heaven on earth. So being right with God again, our sin problem can be fixed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel is good news, and Jesus is the center of the gospel. And so if we want access to this good news, well, how do we get there? Well, the Bible says in order to access this good news or to have that good news take effect in our life, <laughs> click, 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 we have to repent and believe. We have to repent that we have turned from God's design. We have to repent that we have re rebelled against him. And we have to believe that his design is actually the best that his way to live life is actually the right and best way to live. And we not only believe that his design is good, but we believe that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is enough. And it's finished, right? John says, it is finished. And he breathes his last. That word is tetelestai. It means it is finished, debt paid in full. So we have to believe that what Jesus did is it's done. There's nothing else you and I could do to merit God's favor. Jesus has accomplished it all. That's good news. So, once we accept and believe and repent in the gospel, we believe the gospel, then we become new creatures, the Bible says. The old is gone, the new has come. We are in Christ, and then we are able to recover from our brokenness. God begins to heal us and change us. We're not just a better version of ourselves. We're a new creature in Christ. And so we recover from our brokenness. God makes us new, and then we live the rest of our lives pursuing God's design. We pursue his design for marriage, his design for sex, his design for money, his design for the church, his design for parenting, his design for how we reach out to our communities and share the gospel. Everything in our life now is submitted to the authority of Jesus, and we are pursuing God's design for that in our life. And so this is a very simple way to share the gospel. And so when you get through this, you want to ask four key questions at the very end. These, again, just like the 15-second story, these four questions are very important because once you share this with somebody, the first thing you want to ask is, does this make sense? You want to give them a chance to, to, to say or to express anything they have doubts or concerns about, and you want to ask them if, it, if there's anything you can explain further to them. The next thing you want to ask is, hey, given this reality, this biblical reality, where are you in this diagram? Now, obviously, they are not the gospel. <laughs> they can't be in that circle. Right? So there's only two options. Just like we talked about before, there's only two types of people with two eternal destinations. So they are either pursuing God's design or they are in brokenness at some point or some degree. Okay? So where are you in this diagram? And you give them the option. You're either in God's design or you're in brokenness. Where are you? And most people are honest enough to say, I think I'm in brokenness. Some people uh, say they might be in God's design. But then if you ask some follow-up questions like, you know what? What types of things do you see in your life that would lead you to believe you're pursuing God's design? Well, then they list those things, and you can try to talk through that. 
So let's say there they say, you know, I think I'm in brokenness. I'm in one of those squiggly lines. I messed up with addiction and, and relationships. I just can't seem to figure this thing out. Well, then you can say, well, where do you want to be? Or given what you've just seen, where do you think you should be? And they can say, well, I obviously probably should be pursuing God's design. I want to find a way to not live this way to get out of this. And so you can say, okay, well, then what's stopping you? What's, what's the hurdle or what's, what's a barrier that might be keeping you from pursuing a relationship with Jesus, turning and trusting in him today? You know, what, what step do you need to take or what barrier is still there? Maybe they say, I've never read the Bible. I don't understand it. Maybe they say, I've been hurt by the church. Maybe they say, I had a bad experience with uh, this other person. Okay, great. Well, that's a place that you can have a conversation and say, hey, look, I'd love to read the Bible with you. Hey, I'd love for you to come to church with me. And check it out. We learn together. We talk together. I'd love for you to meet my small group. I'd love for you to come over and have dinner at my home. Whatever the steps might be that make sense. That's a place where you get to, again, engage with them, have a conversation, and say, look, if there's a barrier or a hurdle, see if there's a way that you can enter into relationship with them intentionally to work through those barriers and to point them to Jesus. So at this point, we'll stop and ask any questions. That was real fast, I know. Yeah. The fourth one says, oh, I'm sorry, what's stopping you from turning and trusting in Jesus today? Yep, sorry about that. Any other questions? Yeah. So, um, so if, um, so I was talking to a friend who's a Catholic, and, and she would, um, she would say, yeah, all this stuff, I got it, I got it. But, um, but her belief is God is love, which, and so no one's going to go to hell. So she, so I sort of try to talk to her about that God is just, and you know what about Jesus died on the cross? So I don't. So, and then she just got really angry, really angry, you know, and she shut down. And, and I'm just, you know, kind of like, Lord, what, you know, friend, I don't know. I really don't know what to do or how to help her or what to. Certainly have, you know, asked her to come to church, but she doesn't want to come to this church. She asked me to this church once. She listens to me this thing. Um, but she doesn't want to come here. And um, I don't know, other, you know, I don't know exactly. And, and I, because she doesn't really believe in hell, I sent her some stuff on hell. She, you know, she doesn't respond. I, um, so I don't know, it's, uh, I don't know how, you know, like, and just pray for her. I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, um, not, not sure. There's a lot of there's a lot of different people, a lot of different places. Yeah. Um, one of the things about this tool that you'll have to get good at, and it's only gonna you have to learn over time. We don't have enough time tonight to do it. But every type of person and religion, you can kind of adapt this to that worldview. So, like when I share this with Mormons, I have to articulate things a little bit different because we use the same words that they do, right? They use all the same words we would use. And so even with Catholics or Mormons or even Muslims, when you get to the gospel piece, you can try to emphasize even heavier that it has nothing to do with your works that save you and make you right with God. It's only the work of Jesus Christ. Because those three religions, especially Roman Catholics, some Catholics, Muslims and Mormons are all about, if you do this, then you might maybe make it in eternity. That's Christianity is very unique in that sense that it's 100% the work of Christ that saves you, apart from anything you've ever done, right? And that's very clear scripturally. You can prove that pretty easily if they have the eyes to see it. 
And that's the other dynamic is that if they don't have the spiritual eyes to see what you are presenting in the Bible, uh, there's nothing you can do other than pray that God opens their eyes. That's 2 Corinthians 4. Paul is asking and talking to the church in Corinth saying that he's praying that the spiritual eyes basically would be opened, that the spiritual veil would be lifted, that they'd be able to see the light of the glory of Christ. And unless God lifts that spiritual veil, none of us are going to see the spiritual truth that, that with unveiled eyes is so obvious and clear and compelling, right? And so there's a spiritual reality, again, the spiritual war, that there's a spiritual blindness that you can't fix, you can't solve, you can't do anything about other than to share the gospel and to pray that God opens their eyes. If their eyes are open, then truth makes sense. If their eyes are blinded, truth does not make sense. So in one hand, uh, God alone can change your friend. At the same time, that doesn't mean we just sit back and just go, well, it's up to God, I'll do nothing. I don't think that's faithful either. So we pray like crazy and trust God. We also have a responsibility to share the truth, share scripture, and to keep sharing and keep sharing and keep sharing. And hopefully at some point, God opens her eyes. And then as you continue to share your life, word that she sees truth as it actually is as truth but those are just dynamics to wrestle with that know that you can't save your friend only god can but you can share and point her to that your whole life and pray that at some point god opens her eyes and you're still there sharing and talking and praying and with her in a relationship yeah yeah mormons are very tough in that same way it takes years yeah, can you give an example of that like a one like an experience you've had with a mormon or, or somebody of, you know, a different religion yeah. where it takes more than just, you know, I mean, God obviously does the, mm -hmm. the, the, the conversion, but, um, you know, or just an experience you've had where, you know, being in Salt Lake City, you've talked to more than use this example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so I have a friend, uh, uh, I don't think he'll watch it, but I uh, won't use his name, but we live next door to them. And he's related to Brigham Young, so his family's incredibly entrenched in Mormonism. And long story short, we lived next to him for a year and a half, built a relationship, had dinner together, our kids played together. We were friends, truly, we still are to this day. Love each other, good friends. But at some point, you know, you have to get to a point, and I'm praying every day for a year that God will give me the opportunity and the wisdom to know when the door is open enough and when, when the opportunity is right to share. Um, and so we finally get to that point after having conversation he says, Brett, I don't know what's true anymore. Um, and I say, well, I said, man, as your friend, and this, again, I'd encourage you to use this language as well with your friends. I said, look, the most loving thing I could do is to tell you what I believe is the truth. And so it, it's not going to be comfortable probably. And it wasn't. It was very uncomfortable. I said, look, man, uh, here's the truth about the gospel. And walked through this verbally with him in the parking lot at 2 in the morning um, and told him that I don't believe Joseph Smith is a prophet and that in this, they believe God's design and stuff. They believe in sin. They kind of believe in the gospel. It's a different gospel, so they don't actually believe it at all. But I said, you know, the brokenness that you're experiencing, my friend, is actually a brokenness caused by religion and caused by things that man has made to point you to what you think is a gospel. So if you do a lot of religious stuff, then you might have a chance to get saved. So Joseph Smith is a liar, and he's a man-made system of works. And I said, the, the gospel is all about Jesus' work, and it's not about yours. And so when I got to the brokenness thing and the gospel thing verbally, I had to really articulate for him that even his good works going on a mission as a Mormon or even tithing and, and going to church every week and doing all these Mormon things that are good moral things, for him, it's actually brokenness. Because in their worldview, it's pointing them to that if you do these things, that's what saves you. What's well, a false gospel? So even his morality 
was pointing him towards a false gospel. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I had to help him see that what you're doing seems good on the surface from a man perspective, but in the system to which you were being taught and raised, it's only pointing you toward an empty false gospel where you are at the center of the work and it all hinges on you. How messed up is that? You know, when he actually began to see and go, wow, I never thought about it like that. I said, there's a reason why these passages in the Bible talk about Jesus saying it is finished, saying that we're saved by grace alone, that it's not anything that we've done. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Like all these passages that are all throughout the whole New Testament and the whole Bible is not about man. It's about God. The story about God intervening amongst people who are always rebellious and always stubborn, yet God always calls and elects people and saves them and changes them. And it's their, their belief in Jesus and the work that God has already done. So trying to articulate that for him um, was helpful. And then I said, look, if you believe in a gospel that's not real, in a Jesus that's not real because they don't believe in the same Jesus, and I said, that gospel can't save you. If you believe in a Jesus that doesn't exist, that Jesus can't save you. That the Jesus of the Bible is Jesus. He was God's son. He was not a created being like Mormonism teaches. He was God. He is God, right? And Jesus, the Bible says he's the only way to the Father. You know, all these kinds of things. And so knowing the word really is the best apologetic for any conversation. If you know your Bible, you can infuse that in these conversations. And so having a, a presentation, and, and if you just say, just repent and believe in the gospel, then you'll be changed. You can do that. But the hardest thing in our culture today is every word pretty much on this presentation now has different definitions depending on who you ask. And so that's one of the challenges we're facing now where at 40, 50, 60 years ago, you could say gospel, and most of us would probably come to the similar understanding of what that word meant. Same thing if you said, I'm a Christian. We all could probably agree 50 years ago, yeah, a Christian believes this, and we all kind of have a general understanding and a general agreement on what that means. Today, everyone from Donald Trump to you know Mother Teresa to a Mormon, all say they're Christian. Are they all the same type of Christian? No. Uh, which one's right or wrong? Well, we can get into that later. But the point is, you can't just say Christian anymore. You can't just say gospel anymore. It's getting more and more complicated because everyone's got a different definition for all these words. And so that's a long answer to say, be able to articulate the words that you use with theological definitions. So if you say gospel, be ready to talk about that with specifics. Uh, one of my pet peeves in the church is, we sing songs or we preach sermons that are very vague and very fuzzy and just say, just love Jesus, just follow the gospel. And in these contexts, it's probably okay. But we don't know who's listening. We don't know where people are at. We don't know where they're coming from. We need to, the gospel is very specific. The work of Christ is very specific. There's a lot of very specific things that, that Jesus has done. And so the more specific we can articulate the gospel and articulate our theology and our doctrine, the more clear it will be about how that person could be saved and changed. So what's the rest of the story? How did he respond? Great question. Thank you. So he responded well. I said, I don't think Joseph Smith is a prophet. I think Mormonism is false. I think uh, the only way to be saved is through this way, through the Bible. And he said, I appreciate you sharing that with me. He said, I think what you're saying is true. But he said, Brett, even if I were to act on it, I'd lose everything. He has a Mormon family. He'd lose his wife. His wife would divorce him overnight and take his kids. He'd never see him again. His job was by what he works with his father-in-law, who's a Mormon. He'd get fired. Uh, it's similar to Islam in terms of excommunication, but not similar to Islam in terms of violence, persecution, or even death. So, but they are excommunicated, and you will be excommunicated if you leave the Mormon faith. And so he literally will lose everything. Um, but then I, I said, Mike, um, that's part of the cost. And I said, that's easy for me to say. I've not had to count a cost like that. 
But so Jesus is very clear that you have to count the cost when you follow me. But Jesus also promises that he's worth it. He's better. And that your life in the next life to come and even the life now in him, in the true biblical Christ, mm-hmm. is going to be worth it. Um, but he still to this day has not made that decision or not crossed that line, even though he knows it to be true. Um, and so I pray for him regularly and encourage you to pray for him too. You can pray for Mormons in general. Many of them are in that boat. Um, they know that's not true, but what are they going to do? The temptation of like, I'm going to lose my family, my job, my influence, my network, my church, my community. It's over. It's gone and, and instantly. Uh, even today in our church, uh, we, one of our church members led a former Muslim to Christ um, through the Salt Company and baptized her, has been discipling her during COVID and all this stuff. And now she has to go back to Morocco this week. Um, and she's got to tell her family, who's devout Muslim, that she became a Christian. Uh, and that's not going to go well for her. But she's willing and has counted the cost and is willing to suffer and possibly even lose her life because she has become a believer. This, this is the gospel that we believe in. It has consequences. But it has consequences because it's specific, it's real, um, and it's been articulated in this book. And so we follow it. Uh, there's going to be consequences. So belief, beliefs have consequences. Theology has consequences. So never underestimate theology. Um, anyways, a lot of a lot of rambling, probably a little bit for you, but thank you for those questions. Those are good. Um, okay, we are at a point where we need to take a break, um, I believe. So I'll give you guys. Oh no, we need to practice. Oh, you guys about got off the hook. Woo! Don't they're not getting off the hook too quick. Okay, so find a partner, same thing at your table. Everyone practice it at least once. Turn your paper over. I want you to actually draw it for your partner. Don't just copy or point at it. Practice drawing it fresh with your neighbor and take enough time where everybody can do it at least once and then we will take a break and then we'll come back and talk about one more piece of this. Sound good? Okay, go ahead and go. Okay. Sorry to cut cut you short a little bit, but want to keep moving and make sure we have a little break. Um, how did it go? General feels it easy enough. I know obviously anything takes practice if it's new, but anything you guys want to share about how it worked, how it went, what you like about it, maybe what you don't like about it. Yeah, you <laughs> oh, you can write and then turn. Yeah. So, okay, so everything's predicated on the gospel, on the Bible. So they say, well, the Bible's a story. The Bible is just, uh, it's just a parable. It's not real. Um, um, you know, the Jewish people believe the Old Testament. I don't have any belief at all. Yeah. Just, so, um, how do you know the Bible's real, Rose? Blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, how do I know? Uh, and I, so I, you know, I just say, well, over 500 people saw Jesus when he rose from the dead. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, all those martyr, all those disciples, I think, but one martyr. There's manuscript. I mean, how do we know? Yeah. How do we know Julius Caesar was alive or any of them? Yeah. You know, Great. I, but I don't feel very confident. In, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, just trying to talk about I think some of the things that you just said are things that I would share. Um, there's two things, right? Some people lay on the camp of it's just blind faith. You guys are just fools. Mormons, honestly, are in that boat. To believe the Book of Mormon is totally blind faith because there are no manuscripts. There is no original copy. There's no, it's just a book that Joseph Smith made up and now everyone accepts it to be true. 
there weren't other people that were writing other things all over the known world that had different languages that came together in one story. It's a completely different situation with the Bible, right? Multiple authors, 1,400 years, all together saying the same thing, coming together, 25,000 New Testament manuscripts that all go together and say the same thing that they were from a 1,400 year period. I mean, all sorts of things, same way that you would say. So there's people that say you have just faith. There's people on the other side that's just science. You have to prove it. I think you can land in the middle and say we have a reasonable faith in the Bible. There's some aspects of in the Bible not knowing, well, that's hard to understand. I don't know if I can understand it, but by faith, I believe it to be true. There's other aspects of like, yeah, the manuscripts and stuff that's scientifically, historically accurate. This is a historical document. I mean, it's not just that, but it is that. It's a true historical document. And you've also got people like Josephus, who was not a follower of Jesus, who also writes things that we attest to be true and historically reliable. He gives credence to the Bible and to the things that we see in the same accounts. They also parallel. So you could do a lot of research in that kind of stuff. But again, those types of things I would offer those types of people. But also just keep in the back of your mind 2 Corinthians 4. You can present all the evidence in the world and show them every historical scientific thing that there is to see, and they can still say it's a bunch of made up baloney if they don't have eyes to see. But I think we need to offer them both. I have faith and believe this book, even if I understand it all perfectly. But we also have to know that it's historical. It's it's uh, been you know tested to be proven. I mean, we, we teach Plato and Homer in our schools, right? Nobody doubts that's true. And how many manuscript copies of evidence do we have of that? A hundred, maybe. I think it's 25,000, just the New Testament alone, Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, just we could go on and on about that stuff, but all of it together wraps up to be a pretty, uh, it's, it's the most attested and true book in the entire history of history. Yeah. Um, I think also the 15-second story, I mean, our own story is a, is a good apologetic. Absolutely. Yeah, nobody can, I mean, some can, but nobody can really argue with a transformed life, right? If you say, look, I used to be this way. And now I'm this way. And the only way that that has been possible is through this transformation I've experienced in Christ. Now, they could argue and say, you're full of baloney. <laughs> but again, we can't argue, can't argue with that. This is my story. I know who I was. My family knows who I was. Now I'm different. And that's all because of Jesus. So, yeah, it's a great point. We have to just stand on the truth. And again, even if we say this is true and people laugh at us, it doesn't change the fact that it's true. And we can do our best to graciously and lovingly give all the evidence and all the things we can do, walk with them in faith. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, God's got to open their eyes, but we can try to put evidence and truth in front of them. Yeah. It seems to me that uh, if the conversation has progressed to the point that Rose is talking about, You've done an outstanding job. That's the whole purpose of this. Yeah, is to stimulate yeah. conversation. Absolutely. Concerning. Yeah. Uh, this is just yeah a way to get it going. And if she's got people that are wanting to argue the point, yeah, uh, that is going to lead to bringing incorporating yeah. other truth, which eventually you would want to get to anyway. Yeah. So it's looks to me like she's doing a great job. I agree. And again, so much of this is relationship. It's slow. It's a marathon. But if you're at that point with people, you want to invite them to take a next step, right? So if they're not sure the Bible's true, then what you could do, is it Rose? Is it right? Is it Rose? If they're at that point where they're like, you know, we don't believe the Bible, always think about next steps. How can I invite that person to take some kind of a next step? So maybe it's like, hey, you may not believe it's true. How about we get together once a week and talk about it? And I'll bring some stuff. We can talk about where we see science and the Dead Sea Scrolls and all these other things. I'd love to share that with you. Would you be interested? 
invite them to, to jump into that. And again, they can say no, but always invite people into another step. Maybe let's study the Bible. Let's do eight weeks in Mark where we see that Jesus actually is who he said he is, or John, right? John 20, 31, like he came and did all these things so that you would know that he is the son of God, that by believing in him, you can have eternal life, you know? So John and Mark are evangelistic gospels in that way that you can say, if you really want to know, the Bible talks about Jesus if they're asking those kind of questions. So always invite them, think in terms of next steps. Yeah, good stuff. Well, hey, this is great. Let's take a quick, um, maybe five, six, seven minute break. Does that sound good? That's really quick, but we've got some other stuff to get to. Are we good with that? Okay, let's take a five, seven minute break and come back at like 7.35. Nope, 7.30, man. Come back at 7.30. All right, Zoom friends, we are going to take a break, and I think everybody is able to get in. Yep, everybody's in that can be. If you guys have any questions during the break, feel free to type in the text box or say something. I'd be happy to try and answer your question. So I see a question here from Tracy's iPhone. So the three circles, Tracy, is a gospel sharing technique. So I'm going to go back to this slide here. Tracy, if you're watching um, or listening, uh, feel free to, to chime in here. But I'm going to go back to the beginning of three circles if you didn't catch it. I'll just walk you through it real briefly. So the three circles is designed as a gospel presentation where you start off by telling people that God had a perfect design. And in that perfect design, God was in a perfect relationship with man and in harmony with man. But very quickly, um, in Genesis 3, we see that, that man broke harmony and broke fellowship with God by choosing to do their own thing and listening to Satan. And any departure from God's design is called sin. And so you draw this arrow away from the God's design. So departing from God's design is sin. And the natural result of that is brokenness. And our brokenness is everything we see in the world, from evil to human trafficking to greed to addiction to lust to racism. Everything under the sun that we see in our world that's broken is because of sin. And the squiggly arrows that are coming out of that brokenness are our attempts to get out of brokenness or try to fix the brokenness that we feel, whether it's in our own life or in the world. But oftentimes what we try to do to get out of it, let's say it's an addiction or let's say it's a relationship or more money or another career or we think we can get out of it, but the reality is we can't. And so all of those things just snap us right back into the brokenness. And so we're in a broken place. We're out of harmony with God. We're out of fellowship with him. The world is broken. So how does this get fixed? What, what's the solution? So the Bible says the solution to the brokenness that we feel between men and between God is the gospel. And the gospel is all about Jesus, where God became flesh. He became uh, a man. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He never sinned. Therefore, he went to the cross and he died for all of our sin, past, present, and future. And therefore, by dying on the cross and taking all of our sin, he appeased the wrath of God. He reconciled us back to God. And therefore, we can be having a right relationship with God. And Jesus, through the gospel, fixes the sin problem. The sin problem of us with God and even the sin problems between other humans. 
But the Bible says in order for that good news to really take effect in our life, we have to believe that, that the work of Jesus is sufficient and enough. We have to repent of our rebellion and our lifestyle of, of running away from God. And so the Bible says very clearly in many places, Romans 10, for example, that if we turn and we repent and we believe and call on the name of the Lord, we can be saved. And then only as we are transformed in Christ, then can we recover from our brokenness and actually pursue God's design again. Um, and so that's, that's in essence, Tracy, the, the three circles. Um, it's a gospel sharing technique. And so if you're sharing this with somebody, you, it's a very simple diagram that kind of covers the big picture, right? Creation, fall, restoration, um, redemption, and restoration. Um, and so when you get to the end of it, though, you're going to want to share. You're going to share these four questions. You know, does this make sense? And ask if they understand it all. You want to ask them where they are in the diagram. Um, if they're in God's design or if they're in brokenness. Obviously, they're not in the gospel. So explaining that and say, look, you're either one of two places. You're either headed towards heaven or headed towards hell. That's the reality we see in Scripture. And then ask them, where do you want to be? And hopefully they say, I don't want to be headed towards hell and towards eternity without God. I want to be heading towards him. So then the next question is, well, what's stopping you from turning and trusting in Jesus today? And maybe there's a barrier that they have in their life, uh, hurt, hurt by the church. Maybe they haven't read the Bible. Maybe they don't understand who Jesus is. Well, then that's a place where you can invite them to take a next step and to study the Bible or to study Jesus. Um, and to help them overcome that barrier to turn and trust in Jesus. Um, and so that's that's a quick summation of it. Um, again, if you go to lifeonmissionbook.com, you can find it. There's also an app that you can do on your phone uh, that helps you walk through this on a presentation by swiping on your phone, or they can watch a video. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's a tool to share the gospel with people uh, with, with the invitation and asking them to respond. So hopefully, uh, Tracy, uh, if you're watching this, hopefully that's helpful. Uh, if so, let me know. Yeah, that's good. Um, I wasn't sure if you had it up on a screen there at church that we couldn't see, or you're saying it's on a website, and you mentioned this life tract. Yeah, life, life, on, life conversations guide. I've got extra copies here okay. at the church that I can leave uh, with Mike. That'd be great. That sounds awesome. great. Well, yeah, great. that's very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. I can't hear you very well, but I'm glad you're here. Thank you I'm for here. taking the time to be here tonight. Of course. I'm enjoying it very much. Fantastic. Well, thank you for the patience and the grace on the presentation yeah, yeah. so far. <laughs> it's working pretty well. Good. Fantastic. All right, we're going to get started here again in about a couple minutes. Okay. Okay, you guys ready to go again? Yes. Okay. Um, one thing I forgot to run through real quick. Um, and we talked about this briefly. Let me move this over here. Uh, one of the things that we talked about real briefly is there's three responses to the gospel. So we see this really clearly in Acts 17 when Paul is preaching in Athens. And he is preaching that famous sermon uh, where he says, you know, you, you Athenians, you have all these these idols and all these statues for all these gods, you can have one to an unknown God. Well, I'll tell you who the unknown God is. It's this God, Yahweh, and he shares the gospel. And what we see in Acts 17 
is we see these three responses to the gospel very clearly. Obviously, this happens all the time, but this is a place where we see it really clearly. And so right after sharing the gospel and presenting the kingdom, the early church was always preaching Christ, crucifying Christ's resurrection. And so it says, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. So they're mocking him. They think he's a fool. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. So they didn't quite reject it. They're curious to hear more. And then verse 33, that ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. So we see all three reactions to the gospel here. Some, so we have red, yellow, green, right? Red lights means stop, no go. Yellow means proceed with caution. And green means go. So some obviously rejected the message. Those are red light responses. They're not interested. They're laughing in contempt. They're mocking him. They are not interested. And so they rejected the message that Paul was preaching. Some said, we want to hear more about this later. So they're not saying no, but they're not saying yes. But they are saying, I'd like to know more. I'd like to hear you again. And we also see that throughout some of the, or some of the stories and acts of people coming back and listening multiple times. And then green, some believed the message and followed Paul immediately. Now, we don't know exactly what was taking place with them, but we see the reality that some are going to mock and say, nope, this is ridiculous. Some are going to say, I'm interested, I'd like to hear more. And some say, I'm in. And so one quick point, too. When we share the gospel with people, uh, you're always going to have one of these responses. If someone is a red light type of response and they reject the message, just be reminded they're rejecting the gospel and they're rejecting Jesus, not you. It might feel that way, and, but the reality is, remember, it's a spiritual war. We're sharing a message of truth that really confronts our flesh, our sin, and our rebellion. And so when we share the gospel, it is offensive. It's offensive to our flesh because our flesh says, don't tell me what to do. I do what I want, right? That's what our flesh says all the time in different ways. The gospel says, no, no, no. You need to submit to Jesus and his design is better for your life. And then Jesus says, if you're a follower of me, we still deny our flesh, right? Jesus says in Luke 9, 24 or 26, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross daily, deny yourself and follow me. Okay, so they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus in the gospel. If they're yellow, then again, think in terms of next steps. They say, oh, I'd like to hear more. Great. Would you like to study the Bible with me? Would you like to come to church with me? Would you like to come over and have dinner with me and my family and we can talk more about it? Whatever seems like a, a reasonable next step, always think in terms of what's the next step with my friend. And then obviously if they're green, then man, praise the Lord. Celebrate. Invite them to immediately engage with you in one-on-one -on -one discipleship in the life of your church, in the life of your community, and get them involved in the Bible and prayer and discipleship and disciple them and help them become a follower of Jesus. So that's one thing. Uh, I'll talk about some of these extra resources at the end that might be helpful for evangelism and stuff. Um, so one more thing. Uh, can I have a couple volunteers to pass out? Maybe these young guys or Steve, whoever. You know, if you pass out some of these uh, to everybody, that'd be really great. Thank you. Uh, so the next thing we're going to talk about is we've been talking about getting equipped. We've talked about motivation, and now we're going to talk about being available. Uh, if you guys were here a few years ago when I did this, you might be familiar with this, and this might be a review. If you've not done it, then hopefully it's really helpful. But after we're motivated and now that we're equipped, then we need to start thinking. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate that. Then we need to start thinking, okay, now that I've got these tools, I'm motivated, I want to engage. Well, where do I engage? Well, we have to don't, let's not get overwhelmed. Let's, let's think very simply and very practically. 
wherever you live, work, and play, and do business, that's where God has already sovereignly placed you. Those are probably the places where you already have the most spiritual influence through some kind of relationship, right? And so we're going to talk about engaging in personal evangelism in places where you already have influence, right? So the goals of this next section, we're going to go pretty quickly, but it's pretty, pretty simple. We're going to identify platforms. The platforms are simply a place where you have relational influence. So it's probably your family. It's probably coworkers, probably neighbors. It might be uh, a gym that you go to and you know people at the gym, or maybe you go to a coffee shop, you know the barista, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a cashier at Menards, whatever it might be. But you want to identify places you have influence. Then we want to clarify some of your goals. Well, what do you hope to see God do with this relationship, let's say, with a neighbor? And then you want to clarify from there, how do I get from where I am today to that goal as the Spirit leads me through this prayerful process? So a platform is simply in any public, social, or relational context that you have the right to be in and you have the ability to have influence, right? If you work with somebody, you have the right to be there. It's your job, right? And you have a relationship to some degree. If you have a neighbor, well, you have the right to be there because you live next door, <laughs> right? It's not awkward that you're there, right? And so oftentimes we think, well, I'm just going to go to person X out on the street, just cold turkey. I'm going to go share the gospel with him. I've done that before. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But what it's missing is a relational context, right? I just go to a stranger and present the gospel. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But starting with yourself, you work outward, and you see that you have a lot of people in your life before you get to a stranger on the street that probably needs to know Jesus, right? How many of you know a coworker that needs to know Jesus? How many of you know a neighbor that needs to know Jesus? How many of you have a family member that needs to know Jesus? How many of you have grandkids that need to know Jesus, right? All those people are within relational proximity far more than the person just randomly on the street. Now, the Spirit leads you to do that. You need to be obedient and go do that. Hey, can I say something real quick? Yeah. I just felt. Uh, so basically, I, I was listening to something. I don't know if you touched on this in your message, but it's I, I think I do think that there is something with Jesus and, you know, he didn't do many of the stuff that he did in other towns in his hometown because they couldn't look past his, his flesh. So I do think uh, the family part and the relatives, that's a tough one to hit on. It is. And so yeah. um, I think, you know, Jesus did a lot of his stuff outside of his hometown, the healing and stuff, because they could never look past his flesh. I just feel like I need to say that. Carry on. Yeah, thank you for sharing. The hardest people you're able to share, you will ever share the gospel with. I think are people in your family. I have people in my family that are not following Jesus, and it's hard because there's family, and you're going to see them all the time, and you, those relationships don't go away. So it's it's maybe more tender or more cautious. You have to really be wise and prayerful about that. But at the same time, uh, we have to be bold. And so yeah, appreciate you sharing that. It's hard. So be thinking about this. That there's a lot of people in your life. Uh, that need to know Jesus, and this comes from a book called Concentric Circles of Concern. I didn't make this up, um, but really helpful way to think about, well, where do I share all these tools? Do I just go out to the street and go after it? Sure, but most likely you'll have a better relational ability to do this with people that you already have a relationship with. So on this worksheet that you have, um, or if you are at home watching this on Zoom, uh, all you can simply do is just make a list of all of the current platforms that you have. So if you've got a neighborhood, if you've got coworkers, if you've got family members, grandkids, 
if you've got the barista at a coffee shop that you've been getting to know and having conversations with, if you are on social media and you have a lot of people that maybe pay attention to you or follow you or whatever, I mean, let's be real. There's a lot of people that are on it and they share a lot of stuff. Sometimes it's not worth anything. Sometimes it is. But it can be a platform. But if that's yours, write that down. So write down any, any platform that you have. Write down all of them that you think you have. And then we're going to narrow them down to your top three that you think are the most influential. So write down all the platforms you can possibly think of that you have. It could be social, it could be clubs, it could be sports, family, uh, hobbies, different groups in the community. Um, again, these are people that are far from God. Okay, so people in your relational network that are far from God, neighbors, coworkers, friends, different clubs, acquaintances. Make a list of all the platforms you think you have, even social media. Okay, and as you're making that list, you're probably seeing some that probably in your mind, oh, this is probably a more influential platform than some of these other ones. Okay, so now narrow it down to your top three. Okay, so on your piece of paper, you can flip the page, page two. Narrow it down then to your top three. Now top three meaning not what you like or what your preferences are, but the places that you feel like you have the most potential to have the most relational influence or the most opportunities to have conversations with people about spiritual things. What are the places that God has put you where you have a lot of opportunity? Narrow it down to the top three. And then from those top three, narrow it down to your number one most influential platform. And this is on page two. If you haven't flipped the page already, you can flip the page. And so the goal then is to find your Identify your primary platform, the primary place in your life where you feel like God has given you an ability to open doors, relational influence in some way, shape, or form. Okay? So, your number one platform. Who wants to share a couple? What's your number one platform? It'll be different probably for everybody, but let's have two or a few people just share just to get an idea for the variety out there. What's your, what's your platform? School. School. Fantastic. Is there a certain area in school or is it just in general? I'll find out when I get there. Cool. <laughs> awesome. You just graduated high school going to college. Oh, nice. That's why. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Very cool. What else? What are some other platforms? My workplace. Your workplace. Perfect. What else? Neighborhood. Neighborhood. Awesome. What else? Family. Family. Good. Okay. The youth programs that might work. Awesome. For you. Great. Relatives. What's that? Relatives. Relatives. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Okay. So if you're on Zoom, you know, identify your number one platform where you think you have the most influence. The next thing we're going to do then is turn the page again. This will be the last page on your handout. Or if you're watching on Zoom, you can copy the star and the steps that you're going to see here in just a second. You can copy a little diagram. But the primary goal, the primary goal then is, okay, let's say your neighborhood is your primary platform. Okay, well, with your neighborhood, then what's your goal? What do you hope to see God do in your neighborhood through you? Is it to see somebody saved? And if it is, well, then you've got, that's your goal, to see somebody come to Christ. That's fantastic. It's a great goal. 
Again, you can't save people, but in Christ, he can use you in that process, right? Or maybe your goal is just to share the gospel with a neighbor, okay? Whatever your goal might be, maybe it is to have dinner with your neighbors and share the gospel. Maybe it's to serve your neighbors. Whatever the goal might be, write that down, okay? So write this down on your piece of paper here. There's a star over here. Write your primary goal down. So in your workplace, your family, relatives, school, what would be your hope? Is it to share the gospel? Is it to have a spiritual conversation? Is it to have share a meal? Whatever it might be. I mean, it's going to be different for everybody. But what's, what do you hope to see God do through you in that platform? And then from there, once you've written down your primary goal that you hope to see God use you, then we want to back up a little bit. And we want to, so if you're watching on Zoom, you can kind of draw this out, these little milestones. If your primary goal is to share the gospel with a neighbor, let's say, well, then you kind of have to back up from there and think, well, where am I at today? And what steps do I need to maybe take in order to get me to my goal? So, for example, if I've got a neighbor, like I just moved to Iowa a year ago, just bought a house in Grimes. I don't know my neighbors, so that's one of mine. So I want to know, I want to share the gospel with my neighbors. That's my goal. Um, but in order to share the gospel, I can't just walk up necessarily and say, hey, I'm Brett. I just moved in next door. Can I share something with you to change my life? good but my goal is to start with start with things like I want to know my neighbor's name <laughs> right that might seem pretty obvious and basic but a lot of times we overlook simple steps like what's your name what's your story tell me about your family tell me about what your kids do tell me how long you've lived in the community and then so you kind of have these little steps along the way and so think about one or two or three or four milestones or baby steps that you could take right now from where you are right now today that would help get you towards your primary goal that kind of makes sense in a logical progression. So if you're, at a, if you're at work and you want to share the gospel there, or if even you want to have a conversation, well, then maybe you need to start with, do you know your coworker's name? Maybe you can let your coworker know that you are praying for them. Maybe you can offer to pray for them if they're having a bad day. Um, maybe you say, hey, just want to let you know, coworker John, just praying for you today. If there's anything I can do to, uh, for you or to encourage you, let me know. You know, you're, you're taking steps, you're cultivating the soil, you're throwing them some seed out there for them to know that you're a Christian, to know that you're praying for them, to know that you care. And maybe the next thing is, hey, John, man, I noticed, uh, blah, 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 you know, how's your weekend go? Oh, went good. What'd you do? Well, I just watched football. What did you do? Well, I went to church. Oh, really? And you have a conversation. Well, what do you believe? You know, and so you can have conversations that hopefully lead you that direction. So for you, what are your milestones? Write down one or two or three milestones from where you are today that will help you get to your goal, whatever that might be. Okay, I know this might seem, maybe it's oversimplistic, but again, if you plan, if you, don't, if, you don't, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? And so, so many times in these things, if we have a, an intentional plan, it actually helps us get there. Now, again, the caveat is uh, don't think of this thing that we're doing right now as a rigid system that's going to be legalistic and you have to execute this in three months. <laughs> this is a prayerful, spirit-led guide that as we think and as we pray and as we're following Jesus in the places he's already put us, we're prayerfully looking for opportunities to take some of these baby steps and to take some of these milestones to get to where we hope to be. So don't feel uh, you know stuck or rigid like, oh man, I got to get this done in a week or two weeks. There's no time frame to this. But again, it gives you the ability to think intentionally about your workplace or your neighborhood, whereas a lot of times we just feel like, well, do I just jump right in and share the gospel every time I see them? Well, maybe not necessarily. 
there might be some baby steps you can take that would make more sense. And this is again, this is a relational process, right? We're not just about just bombarding people with religion and gospel sharing and having no context or relationship or uh, a genuine concern for them, right? And so 1 Peter 3.15, right? Peter is saying, be ready in season and out to give a reason for the hope that you have. Then the second part of the verse that most people don't remember is Peter says, but to do that with gentleness and respect, right? So even as we are sharing the gospel with people and engaging them, it's not, they're not projects. <laughs> they're human beings being used of God. Right? And so we have to approach them in a relational way that says we genuinely care about you and your soul. Therefore, I want to know what you're doing in college. What are you studying? You know, what activities are you involved with? What do you believe about these things? And you, you build and cultivate that relationship so that you can take those steps and hopefully share the gospel or whatever your primary goal might be. Does this make sense? Raise your hand if this is making sense and you've got some milestones. Cool. Hopefully this is helpful. Um, does anybody want to share their goal or any of their, their milestones with the group? I'm going to reach out to a coworker of mine fairly regularly. Okay, good. Cool. So your primary goal is to maybe have a Bible study with them? Yeah. Awesome. Great. Awesome. So reaching out to him, maybe text or call or personal contact. Yeah. Awesome. All little steps, right? Good. Thank you. Well, I hope this is helpful. Um, you've just learned very quickly. This is not rocket science, but hopefully it's intentional enough to get the wheels turning to go, oh yeah, I'm in a neighborhood. I have neighbors that don't know Jesus. How could I approach them? What should I be doing to kind of cultivate that relationship? You know, a lot of times in life, we just get busy with stuff. The next thing you know, years go by. And we don't know our neighbors. We don't even know their names. We don't even know anything about them. Um, that's not good. God sovereignly placed you where he's placed you for a reason. It may not be to lead them to Christ. It may just simply be to plant a seed, right? Paul also talks about in 1 Corinthians that, that it's, it, Paul says, you know, it was an I who planted or Apollos who watered or vice versa. It doesn't matter. If God gives the growth, right? We plant, we water, God gives the growth. So we have to be faithful to plant seeds and water seeds and trust God with whatever results come from that, whether we see it in our lifetime or not, right? So, but we have to be mindful. We have to be intentional. We can't just live in our neighborhood for 10 years and never even try, never even pray. I think that's not being a good steward of the, of the neighborhood God's placed us in. So we have to think intentionally and take steps as you feel led by the Spirit to do so. Um, so you've just learned to identify your platform, clarify some goals, and then think of some baby steps that maybe help you take some steps in that direction as the Spirit leads. Um, so hopefully that's helpful for you. So now as we put all this together, hopefully you've seen that we are learning to be available. You've identified some platforms. Okay, these are some places I can be intentional. Now you're learning to pray and watch for these opportunities, right? I mean, very clearly in Scripture, we see that they were intentional to engage the lost. Engage, that's a key word. You know, the, the church in America could learn a lot from their church in Acts. They were very engaged, weren't they? Very focused on the mission of God. And so we have to be engaged. We have to do something. We have to get up. We have to move. We got to take action. We have to do that with gentleness, respect, love, grace, but with boldness and courage and the gospel. So pray. Ask God for opportunities. I promise you, He wants to give you divine opportunities far more than we want to pray for them. Right? He wants you to engage your neighbors far more than you and I want to. I'm scared. I get insecure. 
But I want to pray and say, God, help me be bold and courageous because I know my neighbors are on a path to hell. And maybe there's a seed or two that I can plant. Maybe there's a seed I can water. Maybe, by the grace of God, I can be a part of seeing my neighbor come to Christ. I don't know. But God, I want to be engaged in your mission. Use me as an instrument in your hands. That's often a prayer I pray every day. So pray and watch for opportunities in your platforms. And then as you're talking with people, listen for problems. Listen for negativity. There's a lot of it in our world right now, right? But everyone's talking about negative stuff. What an opportunity to say, look, as a Christian, I have good news. Can I share it with you? You're scared of COVID-19? I have good news for you. The Bible says in Christ, I don't need to be afraid of if I die or if I live. Why? Because I have eternal hope. Can I share that with you? Right? We have good news. Are you willing to listen, to share and then as you're willing uh, to engage in conversations, then you can share your, your, your story. Here's what God's done in my life. I used to be addicted to all sorts of things. Now I'm not. That's by the grace of God. He's changed me. He can change you too. You don't have to live like this. Can I share that with you? And then share the gospel, transition to say, can I share something with you that changed my life? Share the gospel, whether it's the three circles, Romans Road, all the other methods, the four spiritual laws, you know, whatever method you want to use, just use one and make sure you're comfortable with it and you're ready with it. Use a method, share the gospel, invite them to respond to the gospel. That's such a key thing. Again, if we just say, and that's, that's the gospel, here it is, you can have it. Invite them to think and to respond. Do you want to follow Jesus? Are you willing to lay down your life to trust Jesus, to turn from your way to follow him? Invite them to respond. And if possible, follow up with them. See if you can pray with them. See if they can read the Bible together. See if they'd like to come to church. See if they'd like to meet with a pastor. Whatever it might be. Have dinner in your home. Whatever. Think in terms of next steps all the time. Invite them to take a next step. Be willing and available to disciple them, to walk with them in Christ. Um, and then obviously as you guys are working on these tools, continue to practice them. You know, you wrote down three platforms. You wrote down a lot of platforms. I would encourage you to go home, spend even just 10 minutes. Now you could do this in 10 minutes. It's probably easy. Spend 10 minutes thinking about two or three of your other platforms and thinking about how you could take steps with those platforms as well. You've got a neighborhood, you've got family, you've got friends, you've got coworkers, you've got all these other people in your life. Take 10 minutes and just think about it, even if you don't write it down, but think about it. But the more you write down, the more it internalizes in your body and your mind. So write it. Uh, write it out. Practice your 15-second story. Practice three circles. Again, uh, the more you practice this stuff, the more it becomes a part of who you are. And next thing you know, you're just able to share and talk and converse and come in and out of it. And it's just a part of who you are. It's natural to talk about it. So that's all I've got for you. Um, that was probably a lot. Maybe it was really fast. Hopefully it wasn't too fast. But uh, again, don't let the simplicity fool you into thinking this stuff won't work. I've used all of this stuff in my personal life for the last seven years. And I've not had as much, I've not had as many gospel conversations than when I'm using things like this. Again, this is not magic. There's no silver bullet, but you have to have something. And so when I'm in intentional with this, I've had so many conversations with so many people, um, and it really is helpful. So please, if you don't use this, then find something you will use. But this hopefully is a helpful tool. But I want to just see real quick if we have time, uh, what was your biggest takeaway from this training? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you said something at the beginning that I was wondering if you could elaborate on a little bit. The leaving a little margin. Yeah. I think I know what that means, but can you kind of explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I talked about at the beginning leaving margin in your life in order to be available to engage lostness, right? 
So if we're so in this, ugh, I'm a pastor, okay, in a church, I get this, but if we are so busy doing Christian things that we don't have any time to engage with lost people, I think something's out of balance. Okay, the key is balance. The key is not never go to church, don't go to a community group, throw it all away. That's not what I'm saying. The key is balance, okay? So if we're in community groups or Bible studies and stuff, that's fantastic. You need to do that. I'm in those things. You need to do that stuff. But if we're so busy with church life that we have no time to engage our neighbors, engage our family members, engage our coworkers or whatever, something maybe needs to be adjusted and recalibrated. And again, you're going to have to think and pray and ask the Lord what that looks like for you. But part of being engaged in the mission of God is, is having intentionality about it. Um, again, I don't want to rub anybody the wrong way, but the primary reason you and I are left here on this earth is to fulfill the Great Commission. The primary reason we're here. It really is. Um, read the scriptures. See if you can come to any other conclusions. There's a lot of good things we do as the church, as a community. It's all necessary. It's good and essential things. But the primary reason we're here is to engage the law, share the gospel, make disciples, gather those disciples to be the church, and multiply those disciples to engage the lost, share the gospel, make disciples, and gather the church to multiply, and on and on and on and on. That's the primary thing we see in the entire Bible. It's, a, it's especially the New Testament, the primary reason we're here. And so if that's the primary reason we're here, yet it's the thing we do the least, I think there's a problem, right? And I had to wrestle with that my own life. I grew up in the church. I grew up in, in a Christian home. Never heard this stuff. Never did any of this stuff until I became a church planter, right? I went to Bible college, and they don't teach this stuff. You know, at least mine didn't, which hopefully some do. But this is supposed to be what we're all about, yet ironically, evangelism and disciple-making are always these optional classes for, like, super spiritual Christians that are really hardcore. Yet the reality and the normal picture in the Bible is that everybody did that all the time. Yet we've kind of made it an optional class for super saints. So yeah. that would say margin, we have to prioritize the Great Commission. And so whatever that takes, in balance, and that's extre avoid extremes, balance. Yeah. I was going to say, too, uh, that you, I was going to go off your point that it's a lot in, in the evangelical church and in churches in general asking teachers, evangelists, where's the disciples, where's the prophets? I mean, if you look at the, if you read the Gospels, their whole goal is to make disciples, not to make, you know, that that's the goal of the first century church. Yeah. It's lacking in America. Yeah. It's Period. it's not complicated, but it's messy and it's time consuming. Yeah. And the other thing is you can't make disciples by an assembly line where you put them all through this machine and they all come out the other end. It's one-on-one -on -one for the most part and it's customized. You know, the way the things that Steve might need are very different than what Bob or Mike might need. So I can't just put Bob through this this system and say, well, here you are. I can't put Mike through the same thing or even see because they're different men with different needs, different gifts, different areas of growth and different things. And so discipleship is so custom made and tailored to what, where are you with Christ? How can I help you take your next step with Christ? It's going to be different. And so again, the early church majored on the majors. Oftentimes the American church majors on the minors, right? Yeah. It and tells you something that, that, you know, you go to Bible college and you don't yeah. get taught gospel and that's i think that's what we're seeing today more than ever in america is you, it, it's sad to say this i just feel compelled to say this i'll probably shock people but i'm here to make people uncomfortable 
So, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean, you get to see people in the pews, and I don't know the number, but a lot of people that go to church in America nowadays aren't saved. They're going to hell, and that's that's just the way it is, and it's sad because they get taught or. You know, the way that Christianity was taught to these kids is not lived out by actions. So they they see a false Christianity. They don't know the Christianity when you meet somebody that, you know, is actually doing the things that the apostles did and going out yeah. and, and, and bearing fruit in Jesus' name. So, yeah. I mean, I like this. And uh, where, where can you get more of these? Um, I don't want to deplete your stack. I'll leave all these here. I have hundreds of them in my church. So yeah. you guys take as many. Oh, you can order them on. Is, that, is the website on there? I think it's on the back. It's otherwise it's lifeonmissionbook.com. There's a book that kind of goes with it called Life on Mission. We also can order these pamphlets and also the app at lifeonmissionbook.com. Um, but yeah, so what you're saying, uh, remind me your name. Yeah. Ben? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Matthew 7 is what Ben is talking about, so he's not just spouting heresy. He's speaking the truth. You know, Jesus says the road is narrow, and it leads to life, and very few are on it. Jesus uses the word few. The road is broad, leads to destruction, and many are on it. I don't know what the numbers are. It's not our job to pick and choose. It's to point out who those people are. But the reality is few people enter eternal life. Many people don't. Our, God, our job is to be faithful, to put, get the gospel out, and to get the gospel right. And so theologically, we get it right first, and we get it out, we disciple, we do our best. Um, but uh, we also have to be graceful for people as they come up and learn. Um, yeah. What other questions? I'm going to be honoring of your time. It's eight. But any other questions about anything? Yeah. Would you just communicate to the online folks if they would like a printout of the material yeah. we can make copies for? Them? Perfect. Yes, so if you're watching on Zoom and you'd like some of the handouts for the platform evangelism, the 15-second story, or some of these life conversation guides, I'm going to have some copies that will be here at Creekside that I'll leave with you. Um, or uh, Pastor Steve said he'll make some copies. So we will make sure you can get the documents. And if you guys need more, we'd be happy to email you. That's fine. Yeah. 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 They're not copyrighted? No. Nope. Yeah. I have to tell you a funny story about evangelism, but it's not about me. Sure. But um, a family member who, who um, became a Christian when he was 19, 18, and uh, at college, and he just got on fire, really um, on fire. He, uh, he shared the gospel with me when I was like 18. I really didn't become a Christian until I was 60, 40 years later. He prayed. And he was, you know. But he, at this young age, he was on fire, you know, and he was um, arguing with the, he was a Catholic, he was arguing with the priest, he stood up during Mass one time, he started to preach. He left college, became a missionary, went to Chile. But he was, um, he was on a street corner, and he tells us, we have to laugh at this. He was on a street corner, and he's, he's, he's evangelizing, he's talking, he's handing out tracts. So in front of him, there is a woman who gets hit by a bus on that corner. So all these people come now because this woman's been hit by a bus. 
And okay, now he is young, he's immature, but he got excited because, oh, there's a lot of people and he could increase and hand out during this, you know, whole niche mishmash. Now he's grown a lot from, from that, but he was, I mean, that was, I mean, all that was his focus. And he kind of lost, in a sense, common sense. I mean, you know, in a way, but he was very, um, yeah, he was just very, very young, very on fire. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and has you know lived his yeah. life like that for, for today you know still yeah. a lot older yeah. I don't think he would do that again but yeah that's an interesting way to do the gospel <laughs> you know when you read the book of Acts again I keep saying it I mean don't just take my word for what I'm saying read your Bible and you'll read the book of Acts you'll see boldness you'll see courage you'll see faith and again it really should be called you know some books called the Acts of the Apostles it really is the Acts of the Holy Spirit Right, because the Holy Spirit empowers all that. We're not awesome in and of ourselves. The Spirit in us gives us the ability to do those things. But Peter and John, you know, they're getting beaten and thrown in the jail and being told, stop preaching the gospel. What do they do? We say, we cannot help but proclaim what we have seen and what we've heard. We can't help it. We've been changed. We've seen it. We've heard it. We have to tell you. We can't stop. You know, and I hope and pray that as you've been here tonight, that there's a little bit more fire in you to be on mission with Jesus, not because it earns you anything. It doesn't. You've been saved and redeemed, justified completely by the work of Christ alone. There's no gospel you can be sharing enough to make you more uh, better in the eyes of God. You're perfectly justified in Christ, period. So that should free you up then to share the gospel with boldness and courage, knowing that if you, quote, fail at it or you say the wrong thing or it doesn't go well, that doesn't change how God views you. That doesn't change your justification in Christ. All that means is you've got some room to grow but that should empower you to be bold and courageous because literally you have nothing to lose other than opportunities. You have nothing to lose but opportunities. Um, and so uh, let me, if there's any other questions, any other questions, then I'll pray. And then if you guys have questions that you want to talk about afterwards, I'd love to meet you guys some more and talk. And if I can encourage you in any other things, let me know. But uh, any other questions before I close in prayer? Yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to connect with you guys. I'll put my information up here if you want to connect. I'm on Facebook. You can contact me and email me. Uh, I have a website called displaythegospel.com. Uh, a lot of things on there over the years that I've just gathered that are free resources, tons of downloads, sermons and podcasts and videos and all sorts of stuff. It's just there to be a help to you. Um, no agenda on that other than I just want people to be equipped and encouraged. So take advantage of that. If you want to explore and check it out, uh, be happy to connect on Facebook too. Stay in touch now that I live here. Heck, who knows? Maybe we can do some evangelism and some other things together uh, as churches uh, in the coming months. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for uh, this awesome group. I'm grateful, God, again, for their willingness to come out on a Sunday evening when uh, we've probably all been doing things this morning and we're probably tired and we would we probably find things that we could do that would be beneficial to us and our families. But I thank you for their availability, God. They're carving out margin even right now to be here. I pray that that would, would sink in and that they would continue to create margin in their life to be available, to be an instrument in your hands for the sake of the gospel. I pray that the things taught and, 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 and trained tonight would sink deep into their soul and that they would be genuinely motivated out of a place of love and obedience to you, Father, to share the gospel, to make disciples, to engage the lost, to multiply uh, disciples, and to actually be a part of the Great Commission in a very, very real, very tangible way. God, thank you for Creekside Church, for Pastor Steve,
for Mike and, and Bob and Amon and all the other people here that are seeking to be faithful to you in very, very difficult days. So please bless Creekside Church, mm -hmm. Father. Give them favor and success, not just in, in being the church, but in actually reaching the community as well. And I know they want to. So God, please answer that prayer and give them a radical impact in Irvindale so that you would be glorified and that we would get to say, thank you, Lord, for letting us be a part of the story. God, you are so good, and we thank you for the person and the work of Jesus Christ, in whom we stand redeemed, justified, and saved. And we all pray all these things in his name. Amen. Thank you, guys. If you guys want to talk about anything, uh, I'll be here. You guys are officially dismissed, but thanks for coming. You guys are on Zoom. Uh, thank you for coming as well. I hope the experience was as good as it possibly could be. Again, if you want to email me or contact me about anything you have questions about in the coming days or weeks or anything that I can do to help you in any way, uh, please feel to reach out. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight. Thank you. That was very good. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that.